This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. So here's another fishing analogy. I have certain techniques and lures and stuff that I always end up defaulting to, even though I know I probably shouldn't be that day, but because it worked previously in a certain situation, I have a very fond memory of that, and it's really hard for me to break that bias. Right? So, with regards to diet and nutrition, some people will go on a keto diet. They'll lose weight because, hey, I, I didn't feel hungry. And that, I call that tripping their algorithm, right? For whatever reason for them, that was like the thing that worked for them because it felt easy. Some people go on the keto diet and they hate it, right? But these people did it. Same thing with like time restricted eating or intermittent fasting. Some people can fast for 16 hours or 20 hours out of the day and it doesn't bother them, but they just love to have that one real big meal. That makes them feel, in a way, unrestricted. And what I talk about in the book is probably the best diet for you is the one that feels least restrictive, right? But that's different for everybody. For me, the type of diet system that feels least restrictive that I'm biased to is flexible dieting, where I just, hey, here's my protein, here's my carb, here's my fat targets. And I can have whatever I want to hit those. I'm Lane Norton, and this is the Tom Roland Podcast. Have you checked out Waypoint TV? I have. It's awesome. I checked it out because I just uploaded a whole bunch of new shows up there. And you can see them as well as the rest of our entire career on television. Every show we've ever produced is on Waypoint TV for free. Also, tons of other producers. Over 70 different producers have their content up there, short films, all kinds of stuff. And you can find them on Instagram. They're very active on Instagram. Waypointtv.fishing, waypointtv.boating, waypointtv.hunting, waypointtv. Those are the accounts, bunch of Instagram accounts, and they're all really good. You can follow me on Instagram, Tom underscore Roland, and you can go to the 
podcast website, tomrolandpodcast.com, and you can send me an email at podcast at saltwaterexperience.com. Today's guest is a friend, a mutual friend of Black Tip H, Josh Jorgensen, and myself. Josh introduced me to Bio Lane, Lane Norton, and uh, I knew we were going to get along, man. We worked out, and then we talked about fitness and nutrition for the rest. Lane just has written two books. The latest one just came out. He's been on Joe Rogan's podcast. He's been on all kinds of other podcasts. I think he's done a bunch of stuff with Mark Bell. He is a he has a lot of knowledge, like PhD level knowledge, and he's going to share it with us. If you're interested in losing weight, changing the way you eat, you are wondering if this fad diet or that fad diet is good for you or not good for you or will it work or which one's better this one or that one that's what we talk about and man i ask all kinds of questions i don't think there were any questions that i didn't ask i got a lot of questions when it comes to fitness and nutrition i read a lot of books i listen to a lot of podcasts and usually they leave me with more questions everybody's got questions and you know what on top of that it gets so confusing something's good for you this week it's not good for you next week how do you know? You know what? Lane knows. Lane knows at a PhD level. So we're going to talk about it all right now with Bio Lane, Lane Norton. All right, Lane Norton. We just finished a little squat session. Not quite like we had imagined, but it was cool. Belt yeah. squats. Never yeah. done those before. Yeah, they're cool. I like that uh, that apparatus from Rogue. Rogue, are you listening? Sponsorship, please. <laughs> <laughs> I have I have lots of of Rogue things in my garage. Oh no, they make great stuff. But uh, yeah, no, I um, you know we kind of talked about like the the injuries I had and whatnot. That's a nice piece of equipment because I mean, basically, unless you're have some kind of awful knee injury, you can pretty much still squat right and uh and take the load off your lower back so it's a nice right. apparatus so just so um everybody knows uh give me a little your background on squatting and weightlifting and your athletic background yeah so i always introduce myself as one of two ways either a muscle head who's into science <laughs> or a geek who's into lifting weights and i go back and forth on which one i'm probably closer to um but i i i got into weightlifting early in high school because uh, I got picked on a lot. Uh, actually, pretty like emotionally abused by my peers, I would actually go so far as to say. Um, and I was a nerdy kid. I was hyperactive, like really into science and whatnot. So, um, you know, easy target for, mm -hmm. for kids. And um, so I started lifting weights as a way to um, not get bullied and get girls. And it did not do either of those two things. <laughs> um, but I, fortunately, I fell in love with lifting weights. And um, about the end of my... I played baseball all through high school. And uh, by my senior year, when that was finished, I was kind of like, you know, I, I want something to have a goal to, to move towards. Um, athletically, I was, I'd always been active. And uh, since baseball was done, and I, you know, I was a good baseball player. I lettered three years. Um, but I didn't really get any looks by any college teams. And I knew as a 5'10 right-handed first baseman that that had a, you know, <laughs> that wasn't probably going anywhere. So uh, I, I loved weightlifting and I said, well, bodybuilding. I actually still remember driving the car home for my last game in high school thinking, okay, 
on to the next thing. And so I started getting ready for bodybuilding. Uh, I went to college for my first year. My roommate was into bodybuilding as well. His name was Carl. And um, we trained together all through that first year. And uh, I did a show uh, at 19 years old. And now I'm going to date myself, 2001. <laughs> and um, you know, this is before you could post your workout on Instagram. So everybody knew it was legit. And uh, won that show, won the teen division, won the novice division, and was just hooked. Yeah, uh, I loved lifting love training, love the nutrition aspect of it. And actually it bled over into my career because, um, that was, uh, so <laughs> this ties back into fishing. Actually, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a marine biologist. I love sharks. I wanted to be a shark biologist. Yeah. Uh, like, so I actually went to Eckerd down here in St. Petersburg, Florida for okay. my undergrad because they had a great marine science program. But, uh, at that time I was really getting into bodybuilding. And my chem general chemistry uh, professor, Dr. Schnabel, I still remember him saying, Lane, you should do biochemistry. Because hmm. then if you want to go to grad school and do marine science, you could still do it. Or you could do nutrition or you could do anything if you had a degree in biochemistry. He's like, plus, he's like, everybody wants to do marine science. Mm -hmm. There's no jobs for it. You know, do biochemistry. It's good. Yeah. good. So why were you interested in sharks? Just because of Jaws and, and other things? Or had you had experience I, with I, sharks? You know, or I, what? Don't, I don't. I was a kid growing up in Indiana. You just know, like, fascinated. I, just, I, I think there was a shark show on Discovery when I was like five years old one time. Uh -huh. And I just was like, man, those things are cool. Yeah. You know? And, uh, you know, I grew up, um, I fished with dad. So we did bass fishing, you know, in Indiana. And, but my grandparents lived in Longboat Key uh, near Sarasota. Mm -hmm. And I remember going down and like getting after freshwater fishing for largemouth bass and then getting into saltwater fishing. Oh man, you're yeah. just, you're so in heaven, yeah. you know, like this is easy. It's very like, different. You go out for, you know, largemouth bass. If you're fishing artificial, I mean, you know, you might be out all day and not even see one, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, whereas you go down, I mean, if you throw a shrimp on a hook, you're going to get something. Yeah. I mean, unless you're, it, unless it's really off, but for the most part, you're going to catch, you might not catch anything big or worthwhile, but you'll catch something. Yeah. So as kids, I, I love that, you know? And, um, yeah, I just got really interested in the ocean, loved the ocean. I knew I wanted to be near the water. Um, and so that kind of, I didn't, if, if colleges sent me letters from anywhere that was north of the Mason Dixon line, I just threw it away. Yeah. I didn't even want to see it. You know, yeah. so, um, yeah, so I went to Eckerd and, uh, but, but did biochemistry as my undergraduate. And by the time I was getting ready to graduate, I'd competed again and loved it. And I, by that time I knew nutrition was what I wanted to do. So, um, applied for a PhD program at the university of Illinois. So went back up North, uh, and I got the fortune to work under a guy named Don Lehman, who was like, like this guy is like the godfather of protein. Uh -huh. So. Like I wanted to learn about protein. So studied under him, did research for six years, published papers, um, all that kind of jazz and, um, loved it. And in the meantime, I actually started coaching people as well. So was, you still have your own, uh, career in, a, in bodybuilding and lifting at this point, all through your, your education. Yeah. So I competed all through bodybuilding. I didn't get into powerlifting until later. Um, ironically, but so I'm interested, the things that you're learning in, in college, in your undergraduate and then your graduate degree, are you applying immediately to um, your training and, yeah. and it's working and it's giving you yeah. the edge and then therefore it gave you more um, of, a, of an interest in the classroom? Is that oh, yeah. kind of so everything one's I would fueling learn, the other? 
everything I would learn about. I mean, I used to keep my biochemistry professor in undergraduate school probably 15 minutes after every single class because everything I just learned about, I wanted to know how to apply to bodybuilding. Mm. You know, <laughs> did he know that's what you were doing? Oh yeah, he, okay. he knew. And you know, I was very lucky to have uh, professors who actually didn't mind that a meathead was in their class. You know, well, that, but but I would think that would be super exciting because you are. You are your own guinea pig. You are trying all of this stuff on yourself and seeing yep. if it works or it doesn't work, or, or maybe you come up with your own theories that you can ask him about or whatever. Yeah, no, it was, it was. I loved it, and I, you know, I love science. Um, just the scientific process is so cool, and I think I've always been a pretty um, skeptical person, at least when it comes to claims from people. You know, and I always think about, well, is that really? Are they, I don't know. <laughs> you know, um, and being in the fitness industry. You have to be skeptical because there there's so many claims. So and, many. And it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to sift through all the bullshit. Well, I know. And that's one of the things that I want to talk to you about. And I'm, I'm super interested in talking to you because we have a mutual friend, Josh Blacktip H. Yeah. And so he told me, he, I mean, when I started talking to, stuff, to him about like, you know, look, you can change the way you feel by what you eat. And he's like, you really need to talk to my friend Bio Lane. I mean, he is. <laughs> he, you guys are going to talk for hours. Is that how like, you found out about me? Well, I had known about you before, and um, then I saw you on his video, and then he was telling me, "Oh, I'll hook you up." In fact, he even watches the show. He he would like to do that, and I'm like, "Well, yeah, let's do it." Because yeah. I I'm just like everybody else, except maybe maybe a little different. I don't know. I don't know if I could ever say that I'm like everybody else because most people think that I'm way over the deep end on most things that I get into yeah. and on other things, I'm completely uninterested. But one of the things that I'm really, that, that interested is how the mind of most entrepreneurs and <laughs> successful people works. It's either completely obsessed or utterly disinterested. Yeah. I did a podcast with, with Gregor Gillespie, who's going to fight this weekend in the UFC in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. And he's got a tattoo right here that says one or 100. And I said, <laughs> what does that mean? He said, it means I'm either all the way in or all the way out. Yeah. In whatever he does. And I was like, I, I know a little bit about that. <laughs> yeah. I know a little bit about that. But what I wanted to talk to you about, because because you like to fish, there's obviously some some things, some commonalities there. But then you're all into training. Yep. And I knew that we would have some commonalities there. And you're full-on scientist. Like yep. you, you really, really know what you're talking about. I tend to want to listen to people that have experience themselves like yeah. it's one thing to read a book by somebody and you look right. at this guy and go i don't, I don't right. know that doesn't look like he's following his own medicine right um or his own his own advice and so you just wrote um you've written two books right yep so i read the first one the complete contest guide which is all about bodybuilding and getting you know getting really super lean for that but then you write another book recently which is more for the masses right, right. like fat loss for life yeah fat and loss forever fat yeah. loss forever yeah. okay so and and the purpose of that is because I, people have a hugely hard time with this and there are incredible claims and so oh, many yeah. fad diets and so many i mean you hear you hear you're supposed to do this thing this week and then next week you hear, oh, yeah. that's the worst thing you could possibly do. And so I think that so many people get with good intentions, especially like here we are right after the new year. And everybody has really good intentions and they want to improve their physical health and they want to lose weight and they want to regain their, their mobility and they want to get in better shape. 
but they get so confused that they end up doing nothing or they go on this super fad diet for a little bit, only end up to get fatter than they were before. Yeah. I mean, it's very confusing. And I'm a person, I listen to hundreds of podcasts. It, my <laughs> wife can't believe how many podcasts <laughs> I listen to about nutrition, diet, exercise. I read books. I, I'm, in, I'm fascinated with it. I've never had um, like formal study like you have, yeah. um, but I'm just fascinated with it. And I'm fascinated with how we can be so sure that this is the way. And then just a couple of years later, this is absolutely not the way. It's the worst thing you could possibly do. So that's really what your book is about, right? Like, Yeah, I mean, basically, the first premise of the book is that we don't actually have a weight loss problem. This is, this is the thing that actually blows most people's minds. Uh, so the statistics are six out of every seven overweight or obese people will lose a significant amount of body weight in their life. Yeah. The, the problem is, is that the relapse rate weight, relapse weight rates. <laughs> Easy <laughs> for you to say. Fast, right? <laughs> um, the rates of relapse of weight regain are, uh, depending on the statistics you look at, the people who lose weight uh, will regain all of it. Uh, 50% to 70% will regain all of it within a year. Within two years, it's 85%. Within three years, it's 95%. Of those that regain the weight, uh, one-third to two-thirds will actually add on more weight than they had before. Hmm. So we're focusing on the wrong things. Instead of focusing on, I just got to get this weight off, we need to focus on building sustainable habits with people that they can keep it off. Because most people out there who are listening who may be overweight or maybe they just want to lose, lose weight have done it before. But the problem is they have trouble keeping it off because whatever allows you to lose it, you have to sustain that. Otherwise, you will regain it. So a lot of what my book talks about is not saying, hey, this is the diet you should do. It's saying, hey, this is the behaviors you are going to need to incorporate in order for you to sustain that weight loss. Mm -hmm. And it shows you how to lose weight. It shows you you know, everything. And it, uh, we did a whole chapter debunking fad diets. Mm -hmm. I mean, you'll hear people out there saying, calories don't matter. It's all about carbs. Um, <laughs> calories don't matter. It's all about this. It's all about that. <sighs> calories matter. <laughs> um, the, the, there's a lot of hand-waving arguments people make to, to make it seem like, they'll, they'll say something like, well, they compared these two diets and one, they were same calories and one group lost more weight. And people will use that to say, so calories don't matter. Well, no, they still matter. It just means that one diet has a little bit better energy, causes a little bit more energy expenditure than another one. So that may be in it, like high protein diets are like that. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean that like protein is energy negative or that like these are free calories. That's not how it works. It right. just means that you have a little bit better benefit. And I can make an fishing analogy for you. Now, I don't know your answer to this, but I'm going to guess that it's, I'll, I think I know what it's going to be, even though I've, we've me. never talked before. What is the best lure for catching permit? <laughs> and that would be, it depends, you know, like so much. That's exactly what you're going to say about a diet. Like, what do I need to do to lose weight? Well, depends, depends, right? So somebody's up there saying, it's, it's carbs. It's carbs. That's the person saying, oh, just throw a crankbait, you know, or, 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 a, soft, or a soft plastic or something right. like that. Well, it just depends. What's the tide like? What's the clarity like? How deep are you? Right. Right. Like all that, and then there's probably 80 other factors that also matter too, right? In terms of what you're going to choose on what day. And that's why when people ask me, they say, what do you think about keto? 
if it allows you to create a caloric deficit and you can stick to that and sustain that, then by all means, you can use that. Um, it's, but the problem is people do these diets and they just think about trying to get the weight off right now. And they don't think about what's going to happen. So any diet you're on, if you're trying to lose weight, you have to ask yourself, can I see myself doing this method of dieting six months from now, 12 months from now, three years from now? Because otherwise you're going to, you're going to relapse. So if you can't see yourself ever eating carbs again, keto might not be for you. Right. I've seen it so many times where somebody does the things where the food's shipped to you in the mail. Yeah. And like, really? Like that's how you're going to do it for the rest of your life. And, and it works so well because so much structure, it is very structured. There are very few choices. Think about it. All you do is you take this thing and you put it in the microwave and that's what you eat and you don't eat anything else than that. But then when it, then all of a sudden you look at your, your credit card bill and you're like, wow, that auto ship's killing me. I think I'm just going to try it on my own straight up. And that's one of the big things is if you're doing kind of a set meal plan or you're doing some kind of fad diet where you're just not eating carbs or you're, you're not eating this food or that food, it doesn't teach you anything. You're not learning, right? So one of the things we try to tell people is we really recommend tracking your nutrition intake, not because we want you to have to weigh out every piece of food for the rest of your life because that's not sustainable either, right? Mm-hmm. But because if you track the most I ever, so I've been to uh, the highest level of academia you can do. I've done a PhD in nutrition. The most I ever learned about nutrition was by tracking my food intake. Hmm. First time I ever did it because you understand what's in food. Cause so when you say, Oh, I, I would like a high protein food. You know what that is right. or a high carb food or high fiber or high sugar. You understand what those things are. Like when I talked to my dad years ago, he, he didn't know that eggs were high in protein, you know, or he what did he think they were, he thought they were a carb, a carb, you know? an so, egg's a carb, but that, but that's, but, if you if you'd never had talked about this stuff or learned about it, you wouldn't know that. Right. The only reason I know about it is because there was a time when I got I got heavier than I wanted to be. And I also wanted to run and I wanted to run marathons. So I wanted to drop a significant amount of weight and get back in shape. And this was like twenty twenty two year twenty three years ago. And at the time the fad diet was the zone. Yep. And I mean, I don't know what we can Which talk about. Which as far about. as fad diets are, it's, not, it's actually not as bad as a lot of them. Well, I can tell you, I can tell you, I don't know, I don't know what it does for everybody. I can tell you what it did for me is he, he has a, a, a thing in the back that, that shows the food and what, and he breaks them down into blocks, right? So mm-hmm. it's like, here are the choices of carbohydrates. Here are the choices of fat. Here are the choices of protein. And just like your dad, I'm looking through there going, I didn't realize that was a, yeah. You know, considered a fat, like, okay, so avocados are fat. Yep. Okay. That's great. And so then I start learning a little bit more about the food and which, and where, where they are and how, um, I could eat a bowl of broccoli or I could eat half a bagel and yeah. it's going to be the same carbohydrate. Right. So that taught me a tremendous amount and it worked really well for me. Yep. And I, I'm on some variation of that. All the time, because I think, well, you need protein, fats, and carbohydrates in pretty much every meal. That's right. I, I mean, I don't the, know. The, the difference is, is that something you have sustained, right? Yeah. So you've kept the weight off. Right. So most people, they go back to doing what they did beforehand because they view it as a diet with a start date and an end date. You, you, and a lot of diets will say, make it a lifestyle. 
but then they're a type of diet that's completely unsustainable for a lifestyle. Well, you know? and let's talk about that for a life. What what sustainable means? Because you can just tough it out and do basically whatever. Yeah, but, you can do it. Anybody can do anything for twelve weeks, right? You know? But 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 a lifestyle and sustaining not only means that you can stomach the food and you can find enjoyment out of the food, but if it creates this giant rift in the household. That's not sustainable. Yeah. Like if you are, I don't know, you're going to do the carnivore diet and your wife's a vegan. <laughs> and every time you bring home seven pounds of meat, your wife gets mad at you and is like oh. telling you how bad that is. That's probably not sustainable. Maybe that marriage isn't sustainable, but yeah. that's probably not something that is going to last real long. Yeah, Somebody's well, going to give. What people don't realize about food is, you know, I get in this debate a lot with um, keto zealots because mm. um, they are says, zealots. Yeah, it's like, well, nutrition. I said this on the Rogan podcast. It's replacing religion for a lot of people because uh, I think what it is is that. Even, so here's another fishing analogy. I have certain techniques and lures and stuff that I always end up defaulting to, even though I know I probably shouldn't be that day, but because it worked previously yeah. in a certain situation. I have a very fond memory of that. And it's really hard for me to break that bias, right? So with regards to diet and nutrition, some people will go on a keto diet. They'll lose weight because, hey, I, I didn't feel hungry. And that I call that tripping their algorithm, right? For whatever reason for them, that was like the thing that worked for them because it felt easy. Some people go on the keto diet and they hate it, right? But these people did it. Same thing with like time-restricted eating or intermittent fasting. Some people can fast for 16 hours or 20 hours out of the day and it doesn't bother them, but they just love to have that one real big meal. That makes them feel, in a way, unrestricted. Mm -hmm. And what I talk about in the book is probably the best diet for the, you is the one that feels least restrictive, right? But that's different for everybody. For me, the type of diet system that feels least restrictive that I'm biased to is flexible dieting, where I just, hey, Here's my protein, here's my carb, here's my fat targets. And I can have whatever I want to hit those. So how would how would somebody know what those targets are? Well, that's and that's kind of the book shows that as well, but um, you know, basically it walks you through this and essentially what we try to find out first is what are your what do you maintain on, right? So what are your what we call maintenance calories? So what are the amount of calories that you can take in per day and basically not change your weight? Now, and is that based upon your activity level and other Based factors? on your, your, your genetics, your basal metabolic rate, your activity level, type of job you have. But we can get pretty close based on some calculations mm -hmm. that are out there. Um, and then, you know, based on what happens once you start eating a certain amount of calories, then you can adjust depending. So, um, and then we know, okay, if we want to lose a certain amount of weight, that corresponds to a certain amount of calorie deficit. And, and we can figure out how to how to figure that out. Once we have calories, then we set protein because protein is the most important macronutrient. It's important for retaining lean body mass. Uh, it also is uh, much more satiating than carbohydrate or fat, and it has what we call a higher thermic effect of food. So uh, basically, your body is, in a way, kind of like an internal combustion engine, right? You, the process of converting gasoline to energy is not 100% efficient. In fact, it's pretty crappy. Um, so you have to put energy into the system to get energy out. Now you get more out than you put in, but you have to put some in. Food's the same way. 
your body has to put energy in to extract energy out of the food you eat. Well, it has to put more energy in to get the calories out of protein than it does carbohydrate or fat. Now, again, protein's not calorie negative. It's still calorie positive, but it just, so for example, uh, the TEF of protein is, it's depending on the, the studies you read, it's from about 20 to 30%. What's TEF? Thermic effect of food. Sorry. <laughs> so 20 to 30% of the energy in protein is getting wasted. Mm-hmm. Wasted, which actually is a good thing for fat loss. You want to waste energy. You want to be the 1975 Suburban that can go two miles on a gallon. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be the Prius that can go 80 miles on a gallon, right? So, uh, so we set protein first and there's a whole table in the book talking about that and everything. The old, you know, what we hear in weightlifting circles, they say one gram per pound mm-hmm. and it's, it's not a bad place to start. Um, it probably doesn't need to be that high for most people. Um, but ob- like more is not going to hurt you. I mean, even up to intakes of, you know, 1.4, 1.5 grams per pound of body weight have been studied and they haven't found any harmful effects with it. So. We set that, and then carbohydrates and fats, that actually is pretty flexible. There's a lot of debate out there about, should I cut my carbs? Should I cut my fats? Which works better? Um, there's been 32 studies thus far that have, ex- 33 now, that have examined um, diets that were equal in calories and equal in protein, but different in carbohydrate and fat. Most of them show no difference in fat loss. Um, a couple show a little bit better with uh, low carb. Actually, Mord showed, if anything, if you compile the data, we did, there was what's called a meta-analysis, which w- what they basically do in a meta-analysis is they take a bunch of studies that have similar characteristics and they make certain inclusion criteria. And if the studies meet all the inclusion criteria, they basically compile that data. Mm-hmm. And so they can take a study. Now, you know, your, your best study might have, you know, 30, 40 people in it. Now you can have thousands, right? right. You have thousands of data points. Well, this meta-analysis showed that when you equate calories and protein between diets, if anything, fat restriction does a little bit better for fat loss. I think they showed it was something like an extra 26 grams a day of fat loss, which actually isn't that much. Right. It's not a big difference. So I don't want to... and certainly not more important than what you find sustainable. I actually think low carb is a good option for a lot of people because it's pretty easy to still be able to eat out while eating low carb. It's really hard to eat out and be low fat. Mm. Like if you go to a restaurant, you can usually find low carb options. Mm. Go to a restaurant and try to find a low fat option. It's pretty tough. Really? Yeah. I mean, Because I, there was the whole fat of low fat. And there, there was. Were, there were... And maybe that's gone now. I don't know. You can still do it. I mean, but you've pretty much got to get chicken or fish. Yeah. Tell them no oil, no butter, and then some kind of starch, mm. you know. But the, the, so what I tell people in the book is the most important thing is picking something that you feel is sustainable and that you can stick to. So I basically say as far as your carbon fats, the leftover calories after you set protein, do a ratio that you think is going to be something that you can stick to. Right. And what do you think that is for most people? Uh, I usually tell people like a ratio of, so of your calories that are remaining, we actually have a table in the book that just shows this. So if people don't want to do all the calculations, they can just go to the table and say that many calories, that much. Mm-hmm. So if you take out 
the calories from protein. The calories that are remaining, I usually say about 55% of them from carbs and 45% fat, I think is a good start for a lot of people or even 50-50. I think that's a good start for a lot of people. Some people are want to gonna go lower carb. Some people want to go lower fat. Whatever. Do try, you, try what you like. Do I think, you have listings and tables in your in your book? And I, you sent it to me yesterday, and I only read the introduction, so I'm yeah. sorry I don't, I'm not better prepared. But do you have tables in there that show people like what foods belong in carbs, fat, and protein? No, we don't have that. Which maybe we could maybe now we need to do that for an amendment. Of well, I the mean, issue. some people don't know. Like your That's dad right. thought an egg was a carbohydrate. No, you're right. You're right. <laughs> So no, probably because my audience that I write to is is probably not the beginner level, right? Uh, but this book is written so that most people can understand it. Yeah, but maybe just a card, like a that you could keep on the refrigerator, and you go, "There's my these are my choices of protein: yeah, chicken, fish, beef, lamb, duck, fowl, whatever." Yeah. And this is the carbs, you know, vegetables, all the way down. I to actually, there's actually a an image floating around online. I think it's better to have. Um, there's like circles because they cross over, mm, right? So yeah, you can yeah. have like, for example, like Greek yogurt actually is carbs and protein, mostly protein, but some carbs. You know, beans are carbs and protein. Uh, if you had something like salmon, that's fat and protein, you know? So if you have those like overlapping circles, yeah, yeah. you know, those yeah. those would be cool. So maybe I'll, I'll put that in a new version. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the idea of what you're trying to do, I think, is make it as easy as to, to eliminate all the BS and go with science-based um, yeah. evidence-based which isn't sexy right like it's it's well, you know but 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 what happens to so many people like i say is they have that that they have the desire but then they even as simple as you're making it they go well he says to do this and red meat is good but i've heard all my life that red meat's not good for you so now what i do well i guess yeah. i'm just going to do what i've been doing it's tough it's we are all subject to marketing and at the end of the day, we want to believe that there's an easy solution, right? So like if I wanted to go out and become the best fisherman I possibly could, I need to go out. I need to be going out every single day and I need to be practicing when I'm not out, tying knots, doing all the other little things, right? Um, it's not like the stuff that makes you successful is not sexy. Right. It's the monotonous crap that most people don't want to do, yeah. right? It's the same thing for for um, weight loss. I mean, the characteristics that we talk about in the book of people who, the 5% who actually keep weight off after they lose it, um, they do choose a sustainable plan. They uh, self-monitor. So they tend to weigh themselves every day. Because that's kind of a self-correcting thing, you know. Mm -hmm. If you if you're if you're actually weighing yourself every day and you start seeing that thing go up, yeah. you usually self-correct. Right. <laughs> um, they weigh themselves every day. They uh, they don't snack. They eat, they eat their meals and they don't really snack very much. Um, they track their intake via, through some form of cognitive restraint. Whether it's they count calories, they track their macros, they don't eat carbs, they eat in a certain time frame of window. They do some form of cognitive restraint, right? And I think that cognitive restraint is really important. Oh, the other thing is they exercise. Mm. Exercise is a huge deal for keeping weight off. We've, you've heard uh, studies come out saying exercise doesn't reduce weight. Like, I'm, have you heard of those? <laughs> some, no, there's, there's actually, like, the, the studies that where they just have people exercise to lose weight, they aren't real 
they aren't real impressive. Yeah. Um, because exercise actually doesn't provide that much of a calorie burn. And here's why it can, but what happens is you move less the rest of the day. Mm. So like, yeah, that's we, definitely true sometimes for some people. Yeah. So we have, we have what's called uh, non-exercise adaptive thermogenesis, NEAT. And that's kind of like fidgeting, right? So mm-hmm. you wouldn't think about this, but we actually dissipate a lot of energy throughout the day by just fidgeting, talking, stuff that we don't even think about. Now, I hear some people say, well, if I want to lose weight, maybe I'll just fidget more. You, you, can't, tra- you can't make yourself do it. It's completely subconscious. Um, so what happens is, if, and if you go back, you can actually look at uh, videos when I was getting ready for a bodybuilding contest because your metabolic rate slows way down when you're getting very lean. Uh, I talk slower. I even blink slower. <laughs> you know, like that's your body trying to conserve you from dying <laughs> of starvation. But that's, that's a big part of it. So when you exercise, what tends to happen is the body conserves energy by then just lowering your neat throughout mm-hmm. the rest of the day. So people have used that to say, well, then see, exercise really is an efficient form of weight loss, but that's not the real benefit to exercise with weight loss. The real benefit is it sensitizes you to satiety signals. So there was a study done in the 1950s in Bengali, and they looked at these workers, and they graded them into into different quartiles, sedentary, lightly active, moderately active, and heavily active in terms of the labor jobs, right? And what they found was from the lightly active group to the heavily active group, they pretty much, without even thinking about it, matched their intake. So they just kind of linearly increased their calorie consumption if they worked more, right? right? The sedentary group ate more than both the light, the lightly active and the moderately active group. So what happens is when you're sedentary, you don't, you aren't as sensitive to satiety signals. And they've seen this in my, in, in, in lab rats as well. So if they have them exercise, um, after weight loss, so they had, they calorie restricted these rats with either exercise or just calorie restriction and actually found that they didn't lose that much different of weight. But what happened was that the rats that kept exercising versus the sedentary ones kept way more of it off. So exercise actually, the real benefit in my opinion is that it sensitizes you to those satiety signals. Well, it's going to sensitize you, but isn't there something to like, if you're a worker and I don't know what they were doing in this study, but let's just say they were physical laborers. If you're working a shovel, yeah, you're obviously not a big cramming bag. donuts yeah. in your mouth, right? But that's probably part of it too, is a lot of people eat out of boredom. Right. You know, a lot of people oh, eat of out course. of boredom. I do on the boat all the time. <laughs> God, we're not catching anything. Let's eat. Yeah, we that's can at right. least we, eat something. You get into a, you get into a, a, a big school or something. Like, I, yeah. I know one day I was out there and I probably didn't eat for 12 hours because I, you know, I'm not kidding you, between... Amberjack, yellowtail, mangrove snapper, I probably caught 40 or 45, yeah. you know. And, and so you're I catching just, fish, plus you you got fish slime all over right. you. Now yeah. it's like, <laughs> am I really going to eat a sandwich now? Let's just keep catching, you know, we'll oh, eat on yeah. the way home. Exactly. But, but eating out of boredom is 100%. It's never more evident to me than on the boat. It's like you're just sitting there and you're like, well, I guess we could eat a sandwich. Maybe if we ate something, it yeah. would you know, something would change. You know? <laughs> That's that old fishing lore. Yeah. You know? And you almost, you almost use it as like, well, you know what, what, what we really need to do is sit here until the tide changes and see if anything happens. But yeah. that's like 30 minutes. What are we going to do for 30 minutes? Just stare at each other. Like let's eat something. <laughs> and so it's going to be a lunch at 11 o'clock and you eat your sandwich. So at do 11 you have o'clock. any, uh, do you, uh, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you have any like, uh, 
totally ridiculous things that you do just because you feel like it's part of your routine. Well, it might help you. Yeah. Catch and it got me super in trouble with my weight. Um, so <clears throat> I used to somehow somewhere along the line, someone brought a pack of nutter butters on the uh -huh. boat and we caught fish, really good fish. <laughs> and so I would go into no bananas, the store though. like, no, I, you know, I was just with the king of no bananas this morning. Oh, Bouncer really? Smith. He is, <laughs> he will cut the tag out of your underwear if he, <laughs> if he sees that you're, if he thinks that you're wearing fruit of the loom. That's so and funny. Act, he says that he is um, actually responsible for the banana disappearing off of the Fruit of the Loom logo because the guy, <laughs> the man, Fruit of Mr. Fruit of the Loom went fishing with him. And no kidding. he's like, who's wearing Fruit of the Loom underwear? We got to get that out. It's not working. You know, we're having bad luck. And he's like, do you realize I own that? And he's like, well, you ought to tell him to take the banana off the thing. <laughs> and he's a pretty, he's That's a funny, so funny. funny dude anyway. But he, uh, there's no banana on, on the logo anymore. But I never really, um, I have some friends that believe you should bring a banana every single day. And Anthony Randazzo has probably run 3,000 charters with bananas. I have pictures of him netting redfish with a banana in one hand and a net in the <laughs> other. So he goes, he bucks the trend and so goes So he's just proved that theory then. Yeah. No basis but in science. He, you know, like Michael Scott said, I'm, I'm not superstitious. I'm a little stitious. <laughs> um, we all have things we do like that yeah. you know i've but got my, certain things i do when i lift yeah. same thing my thing was i would go get these nutter butters and so it was just a little pack you know a little four pack and that was fine and most of the time they would just sit in the cooler and i wouldn't even eat them but i got so into this that now we started doing it in tournaments and then rich was like well if a little's good, more's better. So now we get the <laughs> now we get this thing, and so every time we're going by we're going by the cooler, we snag a couple of nutter butters. I've never tried and Tim then, Tams. And then I used to uh, take them and crush them up and throw them in the water, hoping <laughs> that that would do something. I mean, yeah, as a fisherman, especially when you're fishing tournaments and stuff, you do basically anything, anything that uh, that you think might work. I mean, it's yeah. not going to hurt you, right? That's right. Like, it's, except yeah. that when you start eating forty eight nutter butters a day, that hurts you bad it's horrible so for people you. give the same explanation as supplements they they buy into a lot of bs supplements because they, well it's not gonna hurt my what i'm doing well you know is it i don't know it hurts some people like yeah they get drug tested in the in the ufc or something and they they had some supplement and it pops hot for something that's usually a contamination issue yeah i don't I know. know i know john jones i didn't read about it but i know he had um something happen and i I have not looked into it as much as I should, so I'm probably speaking out of my rear on this. But uh, somebody who I respect as a scientist, he's doing his PhD, broke down why he thinks that he wasn't actually taking anything illegal based on the the, the concentrations they found it in and, and what the effective dose is and all this kind of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, but you're, you know, you're responsible for – at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because you're responsible for what goes in your body. So, like, I tell people, like, I have – I've worked with some collegiate athletes and I've worked with some pros. and man it's not worth it like anything that if it, if it was that good it's illegal trust yeah. me you know yeah but you know people with good intentions are are doing something that they think you know they have a high protein they need a high protein in, intake and they're doing something as simple as a as taking a protein shake and it's yeah, so contaminated that's, that, with some, right. something so that's they, why you buy from so most uh most professional athlete athletic uh organizations now have an approved list 
So they basically say, if you're using this, you're you're good, right? We've tested yeah. this stuff. You're good. Well, so I tell people still get a bad batch, right? No, nah, not with if you're, you know, usually the problem is uh, with China. So what'll happen is in an effort to cut costs, a lot of manufacturers or uh, supplement companies will get their stuff made in China, and what happens is, um, they they're not like it's not a GMP certified facility. So what'll happen is they'll they'll do a, a run of a pro hormone or a steroid or whatever, and they'll mix it, and then they'll go do protein, but they won't clean the vats afterwards. Right. And so you don't have enough to really make an effective dose, but it, the traces will wind up because most of these steroids they're looking for. Um, they're just looking for stuff that shouldn't be there. It doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter the amount that's there. If it's there, you're you're right. you're screwed. Right. You know. So yeah, I tell people like just buy from reputable companies who um, have NSF certification, or they're in a GMP facility, or they provide lab results, or your organization's approved it. Then you don't have to worry about it. Right. But everybody's always looking for that edge, you know. And yeah. it's it's yeah. Well, it's the edge and everything. It's just we're we're going back to the superstitions, and um, I think that um, I'm not sure how we actually ended up on nutter butters and and supplements but <laughs> see i told you i was a little bit like gosh <laughs> yeah well i think we both are um what we were talking about i think was um uh back to the back to the dieting and and getting people um calorically deficient right yeah, restricted yeah so i think a lot of people get really enthusiastic about the diet they choose whether it's keto, carnivore, whatever, because they may have tried several diets before that that felt very restrictive to them. But somebody like a Chris Bell uh, goes on a carnivore diet, and I, I've talked to Chris. He's like, I know it's not magic, but I just I'm I don't ever feel the need to eat anything else. Like I yeah. feel good on it. Um, you know, I don't feel restricted. I can go to a restaurant. I don't have to worry about what I'm going to get. I'm going to get a steak. Right. You know. Well, it's it's working for him. And then right. you're going to see that people will... So then they promote that, but people, some people take it too far. Right. Well, yeah, people will take it too far and claim that everyone should be on it. Yeah. Right? And, but what's interesting about that is that people that have no basis in science will go to somebody like him or their friend who's doing the carnivore diet and really enjoying it and doing great. And all kinds of things are happening for them. For whatever reason, maybe it's because they've eliminated other things. Maybe it's because who knows why, well, but the their big, skin cleared up or they're sleeping better or something's happening. Here's the big dirty secret about diets. There was a, a meta-analysis done a while back looking at um, different diets, low carb, low fat, high protein, low protein, whatever. But all of them, like all the studies, the inclusion criteria was they had to lose a certain amount of weight. And they looked at their blood markers of health. So what we think of health, cholesterol, uh, HDL, LDL, blood glucose, insulin, all these sorts of things, 95% to 99% of the health benefits of dieting was simply because of the weight loss, period. Didn't matter what diet they used. Hmm. So, so the blood markers stayed the same. No, no, they, they all improved. Right. So, for example, everybody knows that sugar is terrible for you, right? Like everybody said, well, sugar. No, everybody knows that. <laughs> so, well, well, most people, you ask them, sugar is bad for you. And the idea is that, you know, sugar, you think, if you, like from the stuff you've read, sugar increases inflammation. 
sure. um, does all this stuff. So there was a study done uh, where they had people in a caloric deficit and they lost weight. And both groups lost the same amount of weight. Calories were the same. One group was eating 10 grams of sugar a day. Another group, the other group was eating over 100. They both lost the same amount of weight because they were on the same calories. Calories matter. And, uh, but the interesting thing was their blood markers changed. They both improved almost identically. Hmm. So inflammation improved the same amount. So people said, well, I don't understand. Well, when you look at correlational data or cohort data, where they're not matching calories, but they're saying, okay, people who eat more sugar have higher levels of inflammation. Well, that's because they're not eating, they're not drinking two Cokes and then saying, well, you know, that was 80 grams of carbohydrate, so I'm going to take that out of the pasta I'm going to eat later. Right. They're drinking that on top of the pasta that they're going to eat later, yeah, right? So, so they're eating more total calories. So the real, the real benefit is really just losing that weight. So one of the things I say in the book is the best, best weight loss diet for your health is probably the one you can stick to. Now, obviously, you can do some funky things with diet. I, I don't think carnivore diet is going to kill you today or tomorrow or whatever. But, you know, being very low fiber and only one source of nutrients, I think, is probably not the most optimal thing to do for health. However, if it if that was the only thing somebody could do, if they said, hey, I've tried everything else, this is the only thing that feels sustainable for me, and they're able to lose weight on it, then it's probably healthier than them Being doing anything else. Overweight. Because Right, because the weight loss is the most important thing. And you get almost all the health benefits of weight loss in like the first 10% of it. Right. So if, you, like if you're 100 pounds overweight, if you just lost 10, 20 pounds and kept it off, you'd probably get most of the health benefits. We, we saw in our lab in, in graduate school, it wasn't my research, but I, was, I participated on it. Um, we, we could take people who were type 2 diabetic, and in three weeks, every blood marker would be fine, except for HbA1c, because that's a longer-term marker. How would you do that? Just get them in a caloric deficit, get them to lose weight, get them exercising. And, and you and, can basically shed type 2 diabetes. Uh, if you, I don't want to make a broad, sweeping statement, because I think that those are usually a bad idea. I think almost anyone who has type 2 diabetes, if you got them to exercise consistently, now I don't want to say everyone, but I would say 99% of people, get them to exercise consistently for six months, get them to lose 10% of their body weight, and they won't be able to tell that they have type 2 diabetes when they go to the doctor. I would be... And especially if you get them to lose like 20% of their body weight. Or so 20% wouldn't someone weight. that was like in that condition be on some sort of a medication for, for type 2 diabetes? Sure. Well, like for example, my dad. So my dad, um, great example. He did a keto diet when he was younger. Um, so I think he was like 45 or something like that. But on a keto diet, lost 30 pounds, gained back 50. Hmm. Now he's doing... Uh, kind of more flexible dieting. So he's just limiting his portion sizes. He's eating all the foods that he likes to eat, but he's limiting his portion sizes and he doesn't snack anymore, right? So some of the principles I talk about in the book, uh, and he's going for walks. Like he's he's never going to be a guy that gets in the gym, but he's going for walks every day now. And he's down, I think, 40 pounds. Wow. And um, he doesn't need his diabetes medication anymore. You know? So when someone is says that they don't need their diabetes medicine anymore. Is that because they have gone to the doctor and had blood work done? Right. <clears throat> and yep. then the doctor says, well, I guess you don't need it. That's or it. do you 
I mean, I'm sure that no, you would never it. suggest to, for someone to no, just no, no, no. I, I take would, it. Yeah, definitely do it under. Sorry, I hopefully I didn't come right, across no, no, that no. way. Right. I'm glad you're clarifying. Yeah, do it under doctor supervision, right. right? So don't just say, "Oh, I'm going to exercise and lose some weight, and I'll get off my diabetes medication." Right. And obviously, I'm talking about type two diabetes, not type one diabetes, because right. that that's not something that's curable. Right. Um. So, but yeah, like type two diabetes, where you know you're you're you produce insulin, but your body's insensitive to it. Yeah, just getting some weight loss and maintaining that weight loss. You'll 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 see a reduction. Now, some doctors will still suggest people stay on like a drug like metformin. Uh, metformin suppresses um, glucose production by the liver, but actually, metformin does uh, a host of other things. It's actually been shown to. Uh, I believe there was a study done showing it actually extended lifespan uh, in 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 people even if they didn't need it. So that seems to be probably has some other benefits that we haven't figured out the mechanism yet as to how it works. Right. But, um, you know, again, if you just exercise and lose weight and keep it off, that's where most of the health benefits come from. Not because you're doing keto and keto is somehow magic or because you're doing the zone and that's, you know, that that has some kind of magic. It's for whatever reason, like you like the zone that, that clicked for you. Right, like it, it must have seemed like it was pretty easy. Yeah. Otherwise, you wouldn't have kept doing it. Right. Yeah. I could because, eat anything I wanted to, anywhere I wanted to. Because here's the thing: any diet can work. Because if you create a deficit, you'll lose weight. Right. But how long can you stick to it? And I'm, I'm not talking about stick to it for 12 weeks when you've got okay. Well, this I'm dieting and I'm planning and I'm doing this. I'm talking about when your kids are back talking you and you got stress at work and you're going through a divorce and all this kind of stuff, then what can you stick to, right? Because that's, people don't blow their diet when they're eating at home, cooking their own meals and, and uh, everything's going fine. They blow their diet when they're just so stressed out that they just, they, that's, you've only got so many spoons. Or travel. Right? Exactly, travel. travel. So, and that kind of goes hand in hand with the stress too. So you've got to find something that feels easy to you. And that's why I think people get so zealous about promoting whatever method worked for them. Because I have, I hear people all the time, oh, I tried everything and keto, man, it just worked for me. Like, and well, but that's, everybody's not like you and it didn't work because it's magic. It worked because for you, it didn't feel restrictive because you said you can have how much protein and fat you want. And it tripped your algorithm. You didn't feel hungry and you were fine. But it's also not everybody is not all about hunger. People think it's just because people are too hungry. We just need to satisfy them. There's an easy way to not be hungry. Just go eat a big old bowl of broccoli. <laughs> like that, you won't be hungry doing that. You don't need to do keto to do that. You know, just eat a bunch of volume from, from vegetables. You yeah. won't be hungry. But that's not why people overeat. It's not the only reason why people overeat, right? There's social stuff. There's like, let me give you an example. When was the last time you went to a social gathering that didn't have food? Almost never. Never happens. And if it did happen, you would think it was weird, right? Yeah. Like if you went, somebody invites you over to your house and you get there and there's no food, you're like, um, like you might not be offended, but Should you might have go, brought something? It's kind of weird. You know? <laughs> I, think, I think we were all supposed so to bring something. So the food something. is a very, so it's part of our, you know, our gestalt. It's, 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 it's very ingrained in our culture, right. you know, even right down to the way you raise your kids, clean your plate, right? I'm sure when you grew up, it was, you better clean that whole plate, yeah. right? Yeah, because uh, you're coming out of the, you're coming out of the. I mean, our, my, our grandparents were Depression, Depression era, yep. and they're like, "Look, we'd be gnawing on that bone." Yeah, 
You're going to yeah. eat everything. We fold our toilet I went, paper, right? Listen, like, I went know. to the I went to the Piccadilly cafeteria with my my grandfather one day, and up until this day, he was wonderful, super nice. But I, we went to the Piccadilly, and I don't know if you know what a Piccadilly cafeteria is, but it's a very southern thing. And you go mm-hmm. in there, and there it's like a, a a long bar. Yeah. And when you're a kid, it's a smorgasbord of everything. <laughs> so I pile my plate this high, you know, and I get three desserts and go there and. Man, I ate like three bites of that, and my grandfather was so mad at me. He was so mad because he was a Depression-era person, and he yep. was like, look, we don't waste food like that. Yeah. And I was just, that was the first time he'd ever gotten mad at me. Yeah. And it stuck with me for a while. So there's the, there is the clean plate thing. Um, it's really interesting, too. There, there's this hypothesis of what's called the thrifty gene hypothesis, which is basically our genetics aren't what caused obesity this obesity crisis because our genetics didn't change in the last 70 years. Right. But I liked what my PhD advisor used to say. He said, uh, genetics only loads the gun for obesity, but behavior pulls the trigger. Yeah. But basically our ancestors, the reason they survived was they probably had the slower metabolism compared to other people who died out because who would die out during famine? It'd be people who are fast metabolisms. Like being lean looks awesome for the beach, but it ain't great for survival because when famine hits, the fat guy is the one who's going to make it, right? So if you look throughout history, there's actually series of events that you can point to where similar things. So we had the Depression. We had World War II. Obesity starts happening about 10 years later is when it, when it really started increasing in the 1960s, right? This is so perfect because that was my next question. Like, why are we so fat? What in the world happened? And you're segueing perfectly into it. Um, so go ahead. So think about what happened. We went from a time of, of, first off, our whole, World War II changed everything. Our whole entire culture changed. We went from basically the brink of, it was doomsday. You know what I mean? Like that yeah. was the evil empire coming to take everything, right? So we survived that. And all we cared about was making our kids comfortable, right? So our entire, like, if, you're, if you've ever met somebody, like our younger listeners might never met somebody from the World War II generation. Those are hard people. Yes. They lived through the Depression. They lived through World War II. You don't want to fuck with anybody from that era. Like I still remember my grandfather. I'm pretty sure at 80 years old, he could have taken anyone I knew. You know what I mean? He was just a hard dude. Um, and our entire mentality shifted, but they didn't want that for their kids because they knew how hard it was, right? right? So everything was about making things easier for them. So they didn't have the hardships that they went through. But hardship makes you grow, you know? So like, what do we have now? I mean, we have people now who you need safe space because of words. You know what I mean? So it's not just we've become physically soft, but we've become mentally soft as well. Right. Like you, you just now, again, I, I'm not trying to shame people or, or, you know, I don't want to get into politics or anything like that, but our just entire culture changed and the food culture. Again, we're telling people clean your plates, but we're also saying, we don't want you to have to work that heavy manual labor job when you're right, a kid. Right. We, we, we want you to, we want you to have your college taken care of, right. All this kind of stuff. Whereas I know just from, again, this is personal experience, but every hard thing that ever happened in my life made me better. Like I, that's where I got my most growth from, you know? So I think in an effort to make our lives easier, in a way we've made our lives harder because now we have these first world problems, right? Of obesity. 
And even de- we're seeing this weird thing in developing countries where you have a schism like India, where there's a lot of people who are famine and famished, and there's actually a lot of people who are obese too, because they've come from a long lineage of famine. And now all of a sudden in one generation, boom, they have excess. And what happens? They get really fat because they have the same mentality from the famine era and they're carrying that into an era of surplus. And what you see, I mean, what happened in the, the 1950s and 60s? Well, sodas, you know, they, they were around in the 30s and 40s and whatnot, but you have sodas, you have more processed food. Now, again, there's nothing about processed food that inherently makes it evil. I want to make that like really clear. Um, it's just processed food is really palatable. Okay. Yeah. So people think carbs are bad. Have you ever tried to eat a plain baked potato by itself? <laughs> yeah. It's really hard. Yeah. Like it's actually the most satiating thing on the planet. Like you will be, you will not be hungry afterwards. But what happens when you put it with butter? Right. And cinnamon sugar. Then you can pile all kinds of stuff on top of it. Easy to eat, right? Put some cheese on there, you know? So it's people, and there's actually a good graphic too. People talk about being sugar addicted. And what do they talk about? They talk about cakes, cookies, all this kind of stuff. Those are actually higher in fat calories than they are sugar. Hmm. But but fat isn't isn't super palatable either. Like an avocado isn't super palatable. I mean, some people like the taste of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, where does things become palatable? Fat and sugar. Right. Those are the stuff that's hyper palatable. Well, what and what, salt and salt. Think about back in the twenties, thirties, forties. If you wanted something like that, you kind of had to bake it. Right. You could go to the lolly shop and get, you know, that kind of candy shop and whatnot, but you had to go now you, anywhere. It's so accessible, yeah. right? Well, it's so accessible, but then also like, I mean, maybe, maybe I seem like a, a conspiracy theorist, but I also think that it's absolutely not a conspiracy theorist that even the advertisement of some of these products are, you can't just eat one. Oh yeah. They are working. Sticker endlessly, satisfies. of course, to make sure that if you t- put that on your mouth, but that's not conspiracy. That's just good business. That's right. They want the, you the, to finish that bag. You know, people look at these these sugar companies like, oh, they're evil. Okay, well, I always like. Okay, I'll be a little bit political. I'm a libertarian, and libertarians like the king of conspiracy, right? Like we're we're way whacked out. With like, by the way, I don't buy in the most, um, because. These companies are made up of people. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like government. Government's made up of people. Yeah, there's bad people. But for the most part, if I go to any demographic, like the fitness industry, I bet there's probably not the same amount of assholes in the fitness industry that there is in the fishing industry, right? It's probably about the same proportion. And I bet government's the same way, maybe a little more assholes. Uh, And these companies are probably the same way. But at the end of the day, what is the best way to keep your employees having jobs being able to turn to a profit product is to sell product. That's it. I mean, how do you so, sell product? You make it taste better, right? You make it able to, to eat more of it. Like now, instead think, of the baked potato, now you right. put stuff on it. Now you can eat four baked. I potatoes. think where it borders on unethical is where you have like the cigarette industry that actively suppressed things. You know, they, they bought off people like that. And you don't think that goes on in the, in the food industry? Um, I'm not going to discount that, but I think there's enough research out there now that we can kind of look and, like I tell people, I don't think sugar is inherently bad for you, 
but I think it's a bad idea to eat a lot of it simply because you won't be satisfied, right? Like so, if you <laughs> if I go eat a uh, a bag of Skittles, that's fifty five grams of carbohydrate right there. Okay, well that was like that big of a portion right. size, exactly. Right. So if I've only I always explain dieting like a budget. Okay. So if I've got a if I somebody who's really active, a lot of muscle mass, fast metabolism, and I can eat 4,000 calories a day and maintain my body weight, that's like a dude making $10 million a year, right? So we know cars are terrible investments. They depreciate. They have horrible resale, right? But if he wants to go out and buy a $500,000 car, sports car, can he do that as long as he still pays, has money to pay his mortgage, he saves for retirement, he takes care of all his responsibilities? Well, hell yeah, he's making, sure. he's making $10 million a year. Is it a good idea for somebody to make $60,000 a year to spend $50,000 on a sports car? Probably, Probably not. not, right? Unless they've really done very well with their budgeting over the course of several years, right? Food is the same way, right? If you're somebody who maintains your body weight on a really high calorie level, you can eat a lot of calories and maintain your weight or even lose weight. I've met people who could lose weight on 4,000 calories a day. Mm-hmm. Is it going to kill you if you have a bag of Skittles? Hell no. In or, fact, a lot of people like Michael Phelps, like when when that when all that came out about think, his diet. Yeah, you think he's that eating dude, twelve thousand calories yeah, a day. Let you him think try he's doing to, it in broccoli. Yeah, let him try to eat clean. I mean right. he so I actually have a story about that. I coached a guy who um he was eating over seven hundred grams of carbohydrate and two hundred grams of fat a day. So he was well up over five thousand calories. And he came to me and he, he was like, Man, Lane, I can't take any more food. Like I'm I'm so bloated. Like I just feel awful all the time i'm so sluggish lethargic and i'm like well what do you eat he's eaten only chicken broccoli rice and oatmeal and uh his fat source was peanut butter so if he's getting five thousand calories how is he how does he have time to train he seems like he'd be eating all the time because those foods are not very calorically dense right so i said dude (laughs) you're eating your your fiber intakes like 150 to 200 grams of fiber a day right now I was like, you're literally, you're literally full of shit. Like you're literally backed up to your esophagus with shit. So uh, do me a favor, eat some pizza, eat some Pop-Tarts, eat some stuff that's easy to get down, but I want you to hit your, your macros and your calories, but I want you to eat these things. Let me know how you feel. A week later, he's like, oh my God, I feel so much better. He actually lost three pounds doing that because he just like literally right. went to the bathroom a few times. He's like, I feel so much better. I feel lighter. I feel less bloated, you know, but now again, this is where that worked for him because of his particular situation. Now let's take a 150 pound woman who's trying to lose weight, who's inactive other than maybe she trains for 45 minutes a day, slow metabolism, and she's on 1400 calories trying to lose weight. Should she go out and eat pop tarts and, and, and pizza because it worked for this guy? Well, hell no, because that's the equivalent of going and buying a $100,000 sports car when you got a $100,000 a year income, right? Right? Like you're going to spend all of it on this little serving that isn't going to satisfy you and you're just going to be hungry and more likely to overeat. So like that's flexible dieting in a nutshell that I talk about. Even though I can eat whatever I want, it's going to be dictated like as I get lower in calories, I am going to by default choose foods that are more filling. I'll give you an example. My friend, uh, Sohee Lee, she's a great fitness account. Definitely follow her. You guys follow her. She, uh, she did an experiment where she was going to compete in a bikini competition, and she was going to eat a Snickers every single day. But she was still going to 
hit her macros and everything. So she actually won her pro card. She became a professional bikini competitor um, and had a Snickers every single day before the show. And But she, what was interesting was she, she said, by two weeks in, I hated eating the Snickers because I, w- I would rather just have a big salad. Mm. Like I would rather just be satisfied, like have something with substance, but I had to eat this little bar right. that wasn't very satisfying. Sorry, Snickers, it doesn't satisfy. And, uh, you know, she's like, I'd rather we just had a big bowl of vegetables or, or salad or whatever. So if you're doing it right, you're choosing those more nutrient-dense foods by default. The problem in where flexible dieting gets a, a, a bad label is people who flexible diet, we love to post pictures of us eating like gummy bears or, you know, pizza or whatever, because it's like, oh, look, we're losing weight and eating this thing, right, that you wouldn't normally eat. It's more about like proof of concept. Yeah. You know what I mean? That there's, you know, there's some people out there who truly believe that you can't eat any sugar and lose weight or that you can't eat any carbohydrate or that you can't eat any processed food and lose weight. And that's just not true. It's just, it makes it more difficult because it's right. less satisfying. And so what you keep going back to is basically, and, and I want to read the rest of your book, and I'm going to, but basically it's all about calories. Well, it's not, it's not all about calories, but it is. It's about, so, it's about hitting these macros in the three different categories, protein, fat, and carbohydrates for a total caloric day, right? It's about creating a caloric deficit right. to lose weight. That's what it's about. Now, here's what people say. They'll say, you'll hear people say, well, calories in, calories out has been debunked. It doesn't matter. And you hear all these. That's not true. That's not true. People will say things, they'll they'll use like, um, for example, um, there was a recent study that came out um, by Ludwig's lab at Harvard. And he's one of the big proponents of the carbohydrate insulin model, even though it's been debunked several times now. Um, And they took people who had lost weight they put them on a maintenance diet with either low carb, low fat, or middle. And they saw that the low carb group had an increase in energy expenditure by about, I think they said like 250 calories a day. Now, first off, there was a lot of problems with this study. I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole because it's pretty sciencey, but the way they measured it was incorrect. Um, and actually, when you go back, there's other researchers who have gone back and run the numbers with the way it should have been done, and there's no difference. But let's assume there was a difference because somebody, I remember somebody tweeted about this and they said, see, this debunks calories in, calories out. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Calories in, calories out, while it sounds simple, is extremely complex in what makes up calories out because that is your basal metabolic rate. It's your NEAT, your non-exercise activity thermogenesis, your TEF, thermic effective food, and your exercise, right? Like all those things. Now, if, if one diet is cr- causing you to expend more energy per day, then it's affecting one of those four things, and we should be able to measure it. And, and we can. We have done it before. Uh, but it's not magic, right? It's, it's, it doesn't mean that calories don't matter. It just means that some diets, higher protein, higher fiber, cause greater energy expenditure. And they can be advantageous for weight loss. However, if somebody hates eating a high-protein diet and they can't sustain it, then maybe it's not for them. Because at the end of the day, you can lose fat on a low-protein or moderate-protein diet. You can. You can just lose a little bit more at the same calorie level with a higher-protein diet. Does that make sense? Yeah. So 
I think people get confused because they, they'll hear these things like, oh, yeah, well, calories don't matter because this study showed that when calories were, were equal that this thing did better. No, no, no. They still matter. And calories in, calories in, calories out is like gravity. It is what is. Like if you lost weight, you were in a calorie deficit. Or people who are on keto will say something like, well, I didn't have to restrict calories and I lost weight. What they mean was they didn't have to count calories and right. they lost weight. Right. But that's not the same thing. You were still restricted. Yeah. It just, for whatever reason for you, it didn't feel restrictive. Or people who are doing intermittent fasting, they say, well, I don't restrict right. calories. You are. You're just not aware that you're doing it. You just it. found this lifestyle that you can- That works you for can, you. you. You feel perfectly fine and you're in a calorie de- deficit and the next thing you know, you're losing weight. Now, w- one thing that, that we have talked about a lot are, you know, a set amount of protein mm-hmm. and then, you know, toying around with the numbers carbs and fats, on the carbs and like, fats. Yeah. But what about somebody that decides to go vegan mm-hmm. or, or vegetarian and basically maybe that person thinks tofu's gross. And so now they're basically eating all vegetables. Yeah. And nuts, it's tough. maybe. So now they're they're eating mostly carbohydrates and fat and very little protein. What I would say is uh, there are some decent vegan protein powders out there, and I would look into those for but any vegan. Do you vegan. think that, that when people think that way that they – I mean, when I know people that have gone vegan or vegetarian, the last thing they're thinking about is – making sure that they get their protein intake. They're thinking about how am I going to make these well, vegetables into some kind of casserole that I'm, <laughs> I'm going to like. I think if you're going vegan or vegetarian, you're not doing it because you're wanting to optimize health. Now, all the vegans who are, any vegans who are, are probably not listening to this podcast, <laughs> but pescatarian, are, maybe. pescatarians, yeah, but you're not doing it for optimal health. And I would tell you that you're doing, if you're doing it for optimal health, you're doing a mistake. Now, I think a, plant-based diet is probably very healthy, but with some high-quality animal product in there as well, because high-quality protein comes from animal. Um, but I think, do I think that having a diet that's the majority from like lean cuts of meat and plant-based, generally, I'd say that that's probably very healthy uh, because it's very satiating. And it's going to cause a caloric deficit and people are going to lose weight, right? So I, I think that that's a good good start for a lot of people. But, you know, just going, and this is the same with anything, right? Like keto zealots, they go crazy over keto and they're like pouring butter in their coffee and like, you know, cooking their bacon and butter. And it's like, no, <laughs> like you're totally missing the point. Uh, and what I, so one other thing about that, just side note, people who are, who claim that carbohydrates are, are the real problem. Why if that's the case, every single person who does keto should just be reprehensible, right? Because they're not eating any carbs. Yeah. And if carbs are the problem, then like, well, well, some are, some are, some, some are, do go keto and and do that. But when you like when you, but I've I seen, mean, I've done that. Like, like my my experience is it, you're you're coming at it from a scientific. I'm coming at it from a guinea pig. Like yeah. I don't I don't know all the science. I don't read all the stuff. But everybody's talking about keto, and I say. What the hell? I'll give it a try for two yeah. months. Yeah. Um, a month. And I don't try anything for how less you, than a month. How did you find it? Um, well, first of all, I did not follow um, uh, Mark, Daily Apple Mark. Um, what's his name, Mark? Um, shoot, I can't remember his last name. Why am I forgetting his last name? He's Mark's Daily Apple. He's He was on Joe Rogan, and, and he's he's a very sensible guy. He was a triathlete, and he... 
really believes in keto these days, uh-huh. and he believes that if you are going to do this as an athlete and you're going to keep training, that you should really back off your training, move into this keto very, very slowly, mm. then ramp your training back up. I didn't do that. I yeah. just stayed on the exact same training yeah. plan, and I went keto, and I felt like I didn't feel so great for about a week, and then I felt fine. Yeah. And you know what? I can eat avocados and steak every night. I have no problem with that. I eat. I can eat a ribeye and a couple of avocados, and that's a, one of my favorite meals. So yeah. I thought that was great. Now, I was curious as I maintained and I repeated workouts that I do often and, you know, is this changing? Am I doing better? Am I doing worse? Do I feel better? Am I sleeping more? Am I sleeping less? You know, what do I feel like? How is this treating me? Is this, you know, if I saw great performance enhancements, I would have stuck with it. Yeah. If, even if I maybe was a little more tired, but I'm killing it in the gym, then I might've, I might've done, you know, I did feel like I had some cognitive I did feel like I was thinking clearer mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Um, I tried it for a month, and then I thought, okay, now I'm going to try the opposite of keto for a month and see what <laughs> I feel like then. And so I go you know, back to just basically eating whatever I want to. And I got to say, I, I, I may have felt better on keto, but I think that's because I eliminated a lot of crap that I shouldn't have been eating anyway. Well, the other part that's difficult is we are really terrible at judging and evaluating ourselves. Yeah. Um, placebo is a very real thing. Like if you, <laughs> there was a study done where they, um, they took people that had uh, allergies and they told them, we are giving you a pill that is going to improve your allergies. They gave them sugar. They gave them a sugar pill, placebo. Not only did the majority report an improvement in their allergies, 30% of them actually had a objectively measurable improvement in their allergies. Mind is a very, very... Yes, it is. Th- we used to think about this and this as separate, and that is not how it works. It's all interconnected. If you really believe something, uh, it's more likely that it's going to work. Mm-hmm. So uh, now, again, for science and sorting things out, we don't want that that bias, yeah. right? But heck, if I was, you know, if when I when I coach people, I tell them this is going to work. It's going to be a huge like you're going to feel better, you know, this this and that. Because I'm trying to pump them up because I want them in that positive right. mindset, right? So, um, I mean, that, that's the same thing. Like if you're if a guy's going to go fight in the UFC, his coaches beforehand aren't telling him, "Oh know man, this guy's this, this man. guy's really <laughs> tough." Like. You know, it, it's good. I, I'm kind of 2080 about you, whether or not you really you're really want to watch you know? out for is the knockout. Yeah. Don't want to yeah, get, don't knocked get embarrassed. Out. Yeah. yeah. No, they're telling him you're going to destroy this guy. Right. You're going to eat him for breakfast. You know, you're going to, um, that you don't put that doubt in your head because, you know, just because you tell yourself, oh, you know, I can lift 500 pounds doesn't mean you can. But if you say I can't do it, then you definitely can't, mm-hmm. you know? So it's that placebo. I mean, you'd heard about the cognitive benefits of keto. So whether or not you got them or not. Maybe. Maybe you I mean, did. And that's what I hear all the time. It's like, would you want to think better? Well, of course. Who wouldn't want to think better? Yeah. You know, so I'll do keto. Yeah. But, you know, the thing is, is that when you start your day with a cup of coffee and, you know, a half a stick of butter and MCT oil on top <laughs> of that, you, you, you've got 
1,400 calories right there. And then you're going to eat five eggs. And then you're going to eat a ribeye for lunch. I mean, do you really think that you're going to lose weight eating like that? I mean, you've just ingested so many calories and so much food that I don't. I well, didn't the people really that expect the people, weight loss. The people who do really well with it um, are the people who they feel so satisfied um, that, they don't, that they don't do that. Right. And so they live in a cal- caloric deficit right. easily without right. any problem. It goes back to what you've been saying the whole time. It's perfectly sustainable for that person. Right. It fits with their lifestyle. It fits with their family. It fits with their job. It fits with all of these things. And they feel fine with it. And then the weight starts coming off. And they, there they go. So one of the things I wanted to talk about too is you were you were saying you know the head the the mind and the body how we're starting to realize that that's you know there's way more to it. It's it's the mind can influence the body. The body can influence the mind, but the mind is everything super affects powerful. everything. How do you think? What do you think the future of medicine and the future of diet and the future of? I mean, we are we are approaching the fattest we've ever been. We are approaching the most unhealthy that I think this country has ever been for a portion of the population. Another portion of the population are freak athletes, like soccer moms that, that are freaking ripped <laughs> six packs. And, and you've, got, you've got part of the population as healthy as it's ever been, so concerned with diet that they're, that they're arguing over keto versus yeah. zone. I mean, like, no, this is better. I did. I uh, deadlifted way more like yeah. this. And so that population is like, is, is super healthy. This population is super unhealthy. How does, how does medicine incorporate the mind, body, exercise, diet, nutrition? How does it, how does that look in the future for you? I think I'm going to really surprise people with my answer. I don't think anything's going to change. I mean, in terms <laughs> of that's surprising. In, in terms of how many people are are overweight and whatnot, it would take a complete shift in our culture, a complete and utter shift in our culture and how we do things, because we've been trying to eliminate poverty for a long time. There's still poor people. Why? We we've spent more money, um, essentially giving it to the poor, um. And again, I don't want to get too much into politics, but essentially giving it to the poor or programs for the poor, that sort of thing. Why do we still have poor people? Well, part of it is circumstance. Like if you grow up in a certain community, of course, it's like genetics, right? Like some people are more predisposed to um, being fatter than others. That's definitely a thing. Some people, they're born and they live in a trailer or they live in a ghetto or whatever. And that's, it's more difficult to get out of that situation. But if you have, I always liked what Dave Ramsey said, uh, broke is a place, poor is a state of mind. We are creating generations of people who don't know how to do things for themselves. We have, how do you build wealth? You earn more than you spend. That's it. And there's people who don't, I mean, yes, you have to have a good income, but there's people who end up being millionaires who make 70, 80 grand a year, 60, 70, 80 grand a year. They just are very diligent. They're hard workers. They have what we call low recency. So they, they can see into the future and they, they are, they delay gratification. Man, if I could, I think if there's anything 
that is the biggest predictor of success in the world. It's the ability to delay gratification. Because that honeypot right there, whatever it is, for whatever you're doing, there's a, everybody takes that. It's the people who keep doing the monotonous stuff, going down the road, doing whatever they're doing. And with weight loss, that honeypot is fad diet, uh, weight loss pill, that, that sort of stuff. The monotonous stuff that actually builds results you know, I've always told people, if you can, if you get into exercise, if you get into weightlifting and you don't use that experience to do anything else in your life, man, weightlifting taught me so much. I use that in everything now. Like the, the, the mental growth I got from lifting weights and competing and competing at a high level. Uh, when I went to Worlds in 2015, like just for me to get there, I had to win nationals. I went, this is in powerlifting. I had to win nationals. I went through a series of injuries, like overcoming those and getting the worlds and, and, and getting second place in the world, setting a squat world record. I got through that and I was kind of like, man, what else could I deal with? Like, what else could I take on? Right? Because when you go through hard stuff and you get through it and what you find is that any hard thing you go through, as long as you just don't quit or you're not dead, you're going to get through it at some point. It's going to be over. You just got to kind of keep your legs turning. Most people don't have that kind of ability to delay gratification. And I think we're seeing it a lot in weight loss. I'm I'm circling this back around to your question, I promise. I think if if we don't have a complete shift in our mindset and stop babying people, I think it's going to be hard to to, to get people there. Because what do do people say? Well, it's too hard. I I don't have time to exercise. No, you got the same 24 hours I have. It's not a priority. Man, I, that's the most, I forget, I think I had a life coach slash therapist who used those words to me one time. She said, never say I don't have time. Say it's not a priority and watch how you change your behavior. Right. Because um, I, I had said something and I was like, well, this is, you know, most important thing to me right now. And she, she was like, shut up, Lane. That's not true. She was, she was savage too. Her name's Patty Evans. I'll give her a shout out. She was awesome. Made a huge difference in my life. She was like, you can't say this is your priority if this is what your actions are. You can't reconcile those. Your priorities are where you put your time. So, hey, listen, I get it. If you're a single mom working three jobs, maybe exercise isn't your priority. And hey, I'm not going to judge you for that. Your, your priority is making a living and your kids. There's nothing wrong with that. But you can't say that, that you don't have time. It's just not your priority. Mm-hmm. And hey, that's fine. Like, you know, but if you wanted to make it a priority, that means something else is going to have to go, whether it's sleep or one of those jobs or, or, or whatever. So I think trying to get people to, I think the biggest barrier is just mentality. Like I was on, when I was on Rogan, he was kind of ranting about discipline mm-hmm. and part of me disagreed with him a little bit, but part of me was like, nah, he's, he's pretty right. Well, he was right, and I listened to that. He was right about some things, but he was he was I, I almost disagreed with him a little bit there too, because he you were talking about sustainability and he's like, yeah. Well, what does that mean? Sustainability. Yeah. Like you can you just got discipline. Yeah. Well, of course, you do have to only have discipline. But I was sitting there like wanting to chime in, going, Yeah, well, what if it causes a rift at home? Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, that you've is, only got you've like, only there's got- a, there's some fights that you just don't want to fight. And so there, you could maybe, you could still have the discipline, but you could find a different way. So maybe it's not keto. 
Maybe yeah. it's something else that makes everything work better. That's what I always tell people about, about fitness and health. It's like, you got to find something that you like to do, but that also has to fit with your family life. Like if what you like to do for fitness is go out and ride your bike for 12 hours, okay, and you get home from work and then you go ride your bike for 12 hours, that's great for you. But your wife and kids are at home and they hadn't seen you all day and then they don't see you for another 12 hours and then you sleep only a couple hours. That's not yeah, that's the not, best. Yeah, it's so, not going, something's going to give and it's probably going to be your family. My, uh, I have a friend, her name is Corey Probe. She did a PhD in psychology and I liked what she said one time at uh, a seminar I put together. She said, um, willpower is a finite resource. Everybody has a breaking point. Now, people think that you have, or maybe discipline is a better word. But people think, oh, you know, you don't have willpower for your job and then your kids and your wife and your your uh your exercise all it's all like the same pot like again when do we have when do things kind of go to crap on diet it's when you're stressed out in every other area of your life and you don't have time and you're not thinking about it right so that's why i always say pick the diet dietary strategy that is the easiest for you because then when shit gets hectic you're going to be able to stay still stay disciplined within whatever it is you're doing. Right. So I agree with him in that aspect because at the end of the day, what what people really want, they want to, how do I, like I had, uh, Holly was ranting to me about this, about a, a client uh, she had who basically like did not want to make any lifestyle adjustments but wanted to lose weight. And Holly's like, well, you're not going to lose weight. Like, you know, how can I keep doing the, the thing I'm doing right now and and get lean? Right. It ain't going to happen. Well, if it's not happening now, why would yeah. not, not making any but that's changes? Not a, that's but, not an inherent thing for most people. You know, the, when I think uh, I really liked what Eric Thomas said. You know him, motivational yeah. speaker? He yeah, said, yeah. when the pain of staying the same becomes greater than the pain of change, that's when we change. And for most people, they just never get to that point. You know, like they, they, they may be unhappy with the way they look or whatever, but they just can't bring themselves because change is scary. Like yeah. change is really hard. I, I know in the last two years, I've been through a lot of change in my life. And there is something to be said for your comfort zone. You know, like you get into a comfort zone and you're like, okay, well, I know on the other side of that change, it'd be better. But man, that's going to be really hard going through that. But it is better. So, but a lot of people don't have the, whether it's the drive or the discipline or or whatever it is. There's a lot of things that go into this. But I think that, you know, most people I meet who are successful in terms of lifting or uh, business or whatnot, you don't find, you don't find that they usually have difficult, if they decide to lose weight, they usually don't have too much difficulty because they have the experience of what it takes to be successful in one thing and can carry it over into another. That's why we're most, where are most people obese? Well, it's in the lower income, you know, lower educated areas. Oh, no. Really? Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a much higher obesity rate in like a lower income. a lot income. of rich, fat people. <laughs> there are. There are. But my guess is if they made it a priority, they could get out of it and keep it off because most people don't get rich but by that's accident. that's what it's about. It's about the priority. And it, but, but I think that 
the interesting part about talking to someone like you is that there are a lot of people that want to make it a priority and then they just get confused. And then that confusion leads to, I'm just going to do the same thing. Paralysis by analysis. Yeah. yeah. That's a real thing. Yeah, it is. I had somebody tweet at me yesterday and they said, um, you know, I'm really grateful for people like, or no, they said, what would you recommend for somebody who's just getting into fitness? Like, how do I separate the BS from the, the truth? And I said, I feel really bad for you. <laughs> like, not, like, not as a, a pity thing, but just, so the whole reason I went and did a PhD, I will tell you exactly the reason. Because I was in undergrad school and I would read a magazine article because that's all I had for bodybuilding at the time. There was no social media, nothing like that. I read Flex Magazine. Muscular development, muscle, and fitness. This month, carbs are bad. Next month, got to eat carbs. You want to gain muscle. This month, fat's bad. Next month, got to eat fat. It was just like, and I'm just like, I need to go sort this stuff out for myself. That was exactly why I did it. Because right. I wanted to be able to. Now, I didn't do research on all those topics, but by being, by getting into science, science, when you understand the scientific method, if you're, good at one area, usually you can sniff out BS in another because you know, you know the telltale signs. You know? I always tell people, if you're looking for somebody who knows what they're talking about, they don't use a lot of superlatives. They don't say things like best, worst, always, never. They don't usually use that because everything is context dependent. right? Yeah. Like If you heard a fishing guide say, hey, always tie this knot for everything you do, you'd probably be like, well, that guy's full of it. Right? Because it, it depends, right? right. Every, if you're really good at what you do, you've gone through, again, like everything works, right? So you've had enough experience with fishing that you know pretty much everything works, but it doesn't work all the time in every situation. There's very specific situations. We were just talking about tarpon fishing, right? Yeah. On one bridge, you use crabs. On another bridge, you use mullet. On another bridge, you use dead bait. Right? Because it's very context dependent. That's probably one of the things I love about fishing is it's like a puzzle. You <laughs> yeah, know, it is. you just you really feel accomplished when you get when you trick a fish. That's, that's you know? what Scott Walker says. Scott Walker says every day is like a puzzle. He he it's like a jigsaw puzzle and he worked it out the night before and then he dropped it all on the floor and then every morning he's gotta find the four corners. <laughs> that's what he that's what he says. And that's then really I put funny. the rest of the thing together. That's really and, funny. And it's not you know, fishing is is good like that, like weightlifting is too. Golf is another one where there 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 are a lot of metaphors for life. There's a lot of oh, yeah. things that you can learn um in the gym, on the boat, in the in sport, um, that translate to life and a lot of those are discipline oriented and and i think that weight uh, weight loss is discipline oriented but yep. i think that i think that someone like you who is really trying to use science and to try and really doing your best to cut through the bs and simplify it for someone is really doing a, a big service to a lot of people and that service is obviously when you walk around um anywhere obviously needed yeah um well, that's why, I mean, again, like people think, I feel like I almost should have gotten a psychology degree, to be honest, instead of a nutrition, because I think the real problem is, is, is mostly up here and not so much people worry about getting the right amount of protein, right, right. amount of carbs, but they don't, people don't, don't not lose weight because they didn't have the right protein, carbon, fat ratio. They lose weight because they didn't stick with it. 
you know, like most people, it's hard to, if you're not quitting at something, it's hard to not get it eventually. Yeah. You know, so I guess if I was going to speak to people out there who are frustrated, realize that pretty much anything can work. And that's why you're so confused because everything does work to a certain degree. But find something that works for you, for lack of a better term. Whether that's a lower carb diet, a lower fat diet, or even, you know, I have people, because there's, I mean, again, between carbs and fats, it doesn't seem like there's a difference in terms of um, fat loss when calories are equated, which makes sense because if you look at the thermic effect of carbohydrate and fat, they're pretty close. Um, protein and fiber are the big one, the ones that are, are different. If I had to put some principles down, I would say, you know, eating a calorie deficit, numero uno. Well, numero uno is find something that's sustainable. Eating a calorie deficit. And, and again, people get confused about this because they'll, they'll, they'll say, well, I ate in a calorie deficit and I didn't lose weight. If you didn't lose weight, by definition, you were not in a calorie deficit. What they mean is they went online to a calculator somewhere. It told them to eat this many calories. They ate that many calories, didn't lose weight. Well, that doesn't mean that you, the calories in, calories out doesn't work. It just means that that calculator was wrong. Right. <laughs> or your, maybe your metabolism slower than usual, that sort of thing. So sustainability. Find a calorie deficit. Eat higher protein if you can. Eat higher fiber. Fiber is great for satiety and also a lot of health benefits associated with it. Um, Vegetables, a lot of vegetables. Fruits are great. People will make a big deal about fructose and stuff. I've yet to hear a fat person say, geez, I just cannot stop eating bananas. Or I just can't stop eating apples. If I could just stop eating this mango, you know, like, that's not what makes people fat. Um, fruits and vegetables are great. Starches are fine, you know, but again, that, that carbohydrate and fat make it whatever is works for you. Whether it's low fat, low carb, moderate of each, that's fine. I even have people who I tell them, hey, since, you know, they're like having a more hectic lifestyle, I, I'll say, hey, since, you know, carbs and fats don't really make a difference, just track your total calories and your protein, you know, if that's easier for you, you know? And for some people that's like, they're like, Oh my God, that's because they get stressed out. Try like the OCD types get really stressed out with three numbers and trying to make them fit and whatnot, right. you know? So you give them two numbers and you say, just hit this much protein, this much calories. And they go, Oh, okay. That's, that's better. You know? Um, I do think there is something to be said for kind of getting in a rhythm, you know, having kind of the same carbohydrate and fat ratio per day because your body, like, as you eat more carbs and less fat or vice versa, your body's going to ramp up the systems that deal with those different energy sources. But at the end of the day, again, sustainability is the most important thing. So, um, you know, I think that, you know, a good entry for a lot of people who maybe never tracked before is, hey, yeah, just track your calories and just track your protein and, and try to get, you know, the enough cal- or low enough calories to get you in a deficit and uh, uh, enough protein to get some of those benefits and try to focus on high fiber foods. And you're going to be 90% of the way there doing that. Okay. You know? And if they want to get a hundred percent of the way there, there, tell them how to find your book and all of the stuff that you can do. And we'll wrap this up because it's, we've been going for an hour and a half. Oh, that surprised me. <laughs> how does everybody find you? Yeah. So my uh, main site where you can find me is biolane.com, B-I-O-L-A-Y-N-E. Uh, 
I'm on social media as BioLane on pretty much everything. Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook's facebook.com slash Lane Norton. YouTube is BioLane. And then um, my store is BioLane Store. That's where all the books are. If you want to get them in particular, the uh, Fat Loss Forever is howtolosefatforever.com. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) Howtolosefatforever.com. And then the contest prep book, if anybody out there is interested in the competition, is uh, contestprepbook.com. So that's it. Awesome, man. Well, thanks so much. I really appreciate all of the the knowledge and helping me with my deadline. Yeah, no worries. Hopefully I didn't spider off in too many different directions. That was perfect. There's a lot of stuff rattling around up there. Yeah, I can tell. I can tell. There's a lot of things going on in there. All right, Lane. (laughs) Thanks, man. Until next time, we'll see you. Cool. I hope you learned a lot from Bio Lane. Happy to call him a new friend. And, man, he gave me his number. I'm going to text him all my questions about diet from now on. So watch out, Lane. Here it comes. i got a lot of questions. Even after that discussion, I still have a lot of questions. Okay, send me an email at podcast at saltwaterexperience.com. You can go to the website, tomrollandpodcast.com, and follow me on Instagram, tom underscore Roland saltwater underscore experience those are our instagram accounts that's the that's the platform that i pay the most attention to and you know if you got suggestions or whatever that'd be awesome you can tag us do whatever you do on instagram and i'll do my best to get back to you all right i'm gonna go watch my diet and make sure that i'm eating properly i hope you will do the same with all that knowledge we just got from lane norton check out his books too All right, see you next week.